भद्रम कर्णे भीषणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येमाक्षेमाक्षीरजत्रिंगुष्टवागुंसनुषेम देवित यदायु स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति न पूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति नाक्षो अरिष्टने स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शांति 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 ओम ओ वेदिक गॉड्स मे वी हियर ऑस्पिशियस वर्ड्स विद आवर इयर्स वाइल एंगेज इन सैक्रिफाइसेस मे वी सी ऑस्पिशियस थिंग्स विद द आईज वाइल प्रेजिंग द गॉड्स विद स्टडी लिम्स मे वी एंजॉय अ लाइफ दैट इज बेनिफिशियल टू द गॉड्स May Indra of ancient fame be auspicious to us. May the all-knowing Pusha, God of the earth, be propitious to us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, be well disposed towards us. May Brihaspati ensure our welfare. Om, peace, peace, peace. So you have started the Mundaka Upanishad, and uh, I'll just first chant the. Uh, mantras which we have already done and um, then i'll i'll summarize in brief what what they contain i'll just translate basically first a chant om brahma devanam prathamasambhuva vishvasya karta bhuvanasya gopta sa brahma vidyam sarva vidya pratishtham atharvaya jeshta putraya prah अथर्वणेयां प्रवदेत ब्रह्मा अथर्वाताचांगिरे ब्रह्म विद्याजा सत्यवहाय प्राद्वाज अंगिसे परावरा शौनको हई महाशालो अंगिस विधिवदुपसंद पृछ कस्ू भगवो विज्ञाते तस्म सहोवाच द्वेदितमयद्रह्म विदो वदी परा चरा चापराग्भेद यजुर्वेद साम वेद अथर्व वेद शिक्षा कल्प व्याकरण निरुक्त छंदो ज्योतिषमी अत परायतरमग्राह्यमगोत्रवर्णम अचक्षुश्रोत्र तदपाणीपाद निभुगत सुसूक्ष्म तदव्यय यूतरीपश्यूस्ड to a an ancient lineage of knowledge coming down from um god himself down to a, through a series of teachers and students and then we have our you know we're coming to the teacher and student who is going to talk about this upanishad shaunaka turns up he's the student and the teacher is angiras and he comes the student is well equipped you know later there will be discussion about the qualifications of the student we know while studying vedanta the student has to have um, viveka discrimination vairagya dispassion 
the sixfold treasures, that means the disciplines of the mind and the senses. Um, and then Mumukshutva, an intense desire for freedom. So a well-qualified student has turned up um, and asks a question. And the que form of the question is very interesting. Kasminno bhagavo vigyate sarvam idam vigyatam bhavatiyati. Sir, what is that by knowing that one thing, everything becomes known? So teach me that thing by knowing which I can know everything. By one knowledge, all knowledge is uh, acquired. So what is that? Uh, and uh, bef before answering that, we must understand the, the depth of the question. What he is asking is, that, um, you know, in causation, cause and effect, when a thing is made out of something else, um, that the material out of which a thing is made is called the material cause. In Sanskrit, uh, upadana karana. So if you make a lot of furniture out of wood, wood is your material cause. And the furniture is the effect, the product. If you make a lot of uh, ornaments out of gold, gold is the material cause. And the ornaments are the product. Now, by knowing the material cause, one can know all the products or all the effects. I'll repeat that. By knowing the, what the material cause is, one knows all the effects. How? In what sense? Well, if you realize that all golden ornaments are made of gold, all golden ornaments are made of gold, um, and you know what gold is, then it, in that sense, you know the reality of all these uh, ornaments. Uh, you know that all these ornaments are nothing but gold. They're different names, forms, and functions imposed on gold. Um, you see a variety of furniture. But if you know wood, what wood is, then you know that all of this, all of this furniture is basically this material called wood. Uh, so in that sense, you know the reality of everything. At this point, one might say that, yeah, I mean, I might know that all golden ornaments, whatever it is, even without seeing, as long as you tell me it's made of gold, I'll know what it is. However, I won't know the details. Like, I won't know what it looks like, what the particular design is. That can differ. Yes. But here we are asking a very fundamental question. In reality, what is it? The names and forms and functions may infinitely differ. But all of it is all the ornaments are nothing but gold. All the waves in the water are nothing but water and so on. All the pottery is nothing but clay. If you know the cause, you know the effect in reality, what it really is. So what this question is asking is, we are seeing this tremendous universe before us. What extraordinary variety. Living, non-living, um, from the tiniest of bacteria or viruses, to the most massive of galaxies, um, and uh, from um, you know living beings, such tremendous variety, uh, non-living things, and that's just the physical universe. Then there's a mental universe. All of us, all intelligent beings, we all have minds. Such a variety of knowledge, uh, emotion, sentiment, creativity. This vast, subtle inner universe. All of this diversity. If it is true that there is one underlying reality from which all of this has come, then if we could know that one reality from which the many has come, we would know everything. Let me repeat that. If we know the material cause of the universe, then we know what the, and we know everything in the universe, 
in that special sense which I mentioned. You know the reality of everything. You know the answer is going to be that, yes, there is such a thing. It's Brahman. And if you know Brahman, you know everything in the universe. That one thing by which you know everything. But you know everything in what sense? You know everything in the universe. An enlightened one knows everything in the universe. He knows that it is Brahman. So that knowledge. And it's, it's tremendously useful. So after this knowledge, you go on living your life. Whoever you come across, you know it is the same Brahman which you are. You are all of that, all of those people. Whatever you come across in life, good and bad, you know it's not really good and bad. It's, it's Brahman, it's what you are. Whatever situation you are in, whatever physical health or illness is there, whatever kind of person you come across, or if there is no person you come across at all, in every case, that one shining reality, it's available to you. You can see it. You can see it means you know it. So it's a great, I mean, it sets you free, actually. You see the sameness everywhere. You see the underlying truth of this universe. Um, so this is the great question which the student has asked the teacher. Now, the teacher, instead of directly telling him it's Brahman, he says, he says to the student, You've asked me a question, that knowledge by which all knowledge is attained, but let me tell you, knowledge is of two kinds, the higher and the lower, para and apara, because you are asking me a special question. Uh, that's why I'm telling you that knowledge itself is of two kinds, because you are asking about the knowledge, uh, the special kind of knowledge. What is this higher and lower knowledge? In our language, which we're talking about cause and effect, material cause and effect or product, if you want to know the effect severally, separately, then that's the lower knowledge. You can have chemistry and physics and biology and physiology and art and, um, you know, music and sculpture and languages, multiple languages and grammars, whatnot. These are all varieties of the effects, what you find in the universe, what we experience in the universe. If you want to pick, pick, pick them up one by one and study them, that's the knowledge of the effect. And that's all of that knowledge. Entirety is classified under lower knowledge. It's put under lower knowledge. Why is it put under lower knowledge? Because the student is asking a specific, a very deep question. So you, from the very beginning, the teacher wants to isolate this question from every other worldly question. Um, the higher knowledge, compared to all of this, higher knowledge is uh, the knowledge which will show you the reality of all these effects. Not in detail, but in basically what it is. That's, the, what, that's what you're asking for. So you're not asking for one more branch of science. You're not asking for one more branch of humanities. No, no, no. You're asking the most fundamental question. What is all this? That's what you're asking. I'm going to tell you that. That's a separate knowledge. So that higher knowledge, in our, in our terms, is the knowledge of the cause. Knowledge of the material cause of um, Brahman. The underlying, one underlying cause of this entire universe. Um, here, uh, that cute story I told you last time about uh, Ganesha and uh, Kartikeya. So, Kartika went on his peacock and he flew around the universe. It's in, in order to go around the universe, he flew around the universe. So, when his mother gave him that competition between Ganesha and Kartika, Kartika took it literally. So, to know everything, how do you know everything? You have to know everything. To fly around the universe, go around the universe. 
How do you do that? You literally go around the universe, just start and then go around the entire universe and come back. So that's what he did. What Ganesha did was to know everything means to know what it really is. One thing only. To know everything means really to know one thing. To go around the universe means to go around Shiva and Parvati, his mother and father. So he went around, circumambulated three times, his father and uh, mother. Uh, Shiva, the great god, the divine mother. So now this question which Shaunaka has asked belongs to that second category, the, the, what, what Ganesha did, that uh, the underlying one reality, the one underlying the many. Before we go on, and yes, and then um, the teacher gives a whole list, an example. Tell me, what do you mean by lower knowledge? And he gives the entire list, the, the four Vedas, Rig Veda, Yajur Veda, Sama Veda, Atharva Veda, and all the auxiliaries, the six things you need to know to study the Vedas, which is Shiksha, Kalpa, Vyakarana, Nirukta, Chanda, Jyotisha. I'm not explaining all this. We did it all last time. So this is the lower knowledge. And today we would include all kinds of secular knowledge, everything, whatever you find in the world. Uh, knowledge in detail, knowledge in detail. And that has a value. That's how the world works. You need knowledge in detail for to work in the world. But for freedom, enlightenment, you need the knowledge of the one, what it really is. Um, before we go into the actual answer, what is the knowledge of that one? Um, I was thinking, isn't this the question which um, cosmologists or physicists are asking in theoretical physics? What is that one thing by knowing which everything is known? They call it grand unified theory, gut, or theory of everything, TOE. Uh, so it's the question which scientists are asking actually today. Ultimately, one principle to unify all our knowledge of the universe, at least in physics, to unify it. And that will, so, so is it the same question? Not quite. It's, it's a subset of the same question, I would say. What Shaunaka is asking is even more grand. See, even if you um, underline, um, if, you, uh, if you find out the underlying principle of the entire cosmos, uh, you will unify the physical cosmos. But really, you have not unified, you have not understood what the mental cosmos is. I mean, what's a thought? Uh, what's an emotion? What's an idea? Unless you solve the hard problem of consciousness and show literally thoughts, emotions, ideas are nothing but electrical activity in the brain and brain is nothing but matter and matter is explained by our grand unified theory. If you cannot do that, then there is something that you have not been able to explain. That is thoughts, emotions, ideas. That remains a separate realm. And according to Advaita Vedanta, consciousness is yet another, even vaster, much more profound realm than the mental. That is not at all explained by the grand unified theory or whenever we come to it. I mentioned one monk was asked this. The scientists are in this quest for a unity, unifying principle for everything. So wouldn't that be non-duality? And he said in Hindi, that will be a non-duality of the insentient universe, the objective universe. But that's not all of it. That's not one thing by which, by knowing that, you still wouldn't be able to explain sentient beings. You still wouldn't be able to explain mind and consciousness. So that's left out. Um, all right. So that's just my observation. Uh, not that this pursuit is not useful. It's, it's definitely useful. Uh, it's, uh, it is the quest for truth in our times. The quest for unifying all the theories of physics. Most fundamental uh, theories of physics. All right.
now let's go into the sixth mantra which we which we were looking at last time so what is the translation? I did it last time. Let me just read it out once more. So what is this higher knowledge? Finally, he's able to give the answer. And it's nice that he gets directly to the answer. You know, in the Kata Upanishad, we have to wait a long time for the teaching to start. Here he answers it directly. By the higher knowledge, the wise realize everywhere that which cannot be perceived and grasped, which is without source, features, eyes and ears, which has neither hands nor feet, which is eternal, multiformed, all-pervasive, extremely subtle and undiminishing, and which is the source of all. Okay. Very important um, mantra, because this constitutes the direct answer to Shonaka's question. In order to grasp it and realize it, we need the rest of the Upanishad. But a straight answer to the question, a straight question, a straight answer is here. Then we'll look deeper into it. But first, what did he say? So that akshara, because the last mantra said, the higher knowledge is by which the akshara is grasped. Akshara means the undiminishing, undecaying, imperishable. Basically, he means Brahman, the ultimate reality. So that one, it is uh, adrishyam. Adrishyam is another word for drishyam, adrishyam, which means um, invisible. So it's not something that has a form. It cannot be seen by the eyes. And by extension, it cannot be seen. Uh, it cannot be heard, smelt, tasted, touched. It's not an object for the five senses. So it's invisible to the five senses. All right, fine. But there is a deeper meaning which Shankaracharya brings out in his commentary. He says, Adreshyam here means not an object for the reflected consciousness. See, in, there's a lot of Vedantic epistemology here. How do we know anything at all? How do we know anything at all? You are pure consciousness. And then that is reflected in the, in the mind, in the subtle body. That's called reflected consciousness. And then the rest of it is the mind and the senses and the external world, all of these interact and the information comes in the mind and that is lit up by the reflected consciousness and that's how we know. So I see this pen. What is happening? Light is reflected from the pen, goes into my, uh, the light goes into my eyes and then an image is formed that is somehow changed into electrical impulses which race along the optic nerves to a certain brain center. From there, what happens? Nobody knows. So from there, that information is somehow presented uh, to the mind. Now we are talking psychological language, no longer brain science. It presented to the mind. Uh, and uh, what we call, there is a movement in the mind, vritti. And the movement takes the form of a pen. Not a real pen. It's just a, a, a mental pen, let us say. A mental facsimile or copy or representation of the pen. And that is lit up by the consciousness reflected in the mind. Then we know, then I have the knowledge, I am seeing a pen. So pen akara vritti, the mental modification in the form of the pen, is lit up by reflected consciousness, chidabhasa, and that's knowledge according to Advaita Vedanta. Uh, I, yeah, according to Advaita Vedanta, Sankhya also. 
Um, now what Shankaracharya is saying, you can't know the imperishable Brahman in that way. There's never going to be some sensory input about Brahman and then it goes to the mind and then the reflected consciousness lights it up and it says, ah, that's, I am now seeing Brahman. No, that's not going to happen. It is not an object for reflected consciousness. So it's a very deep point he's making here. Agraham, nor is it an object for the motor organs. So it's not an object. Brahman, the ultimate reality, is not an object for the senses, for the mind, for reflected consciousness, nor is it something that you can attain through your um, motor, what is the motor, motor organs? Hands and feet and, um, you know, the power of speech. So you can't walk to Brahman. Can I go on a pilgrimage to Brahman? No. Can I catch hold of Brahman? You know, we always say, catch hold of the lotus feet of the Lord. So can I catch hold of the lotus feet of Brahman? No, you can't. First of all, it's not an object you can catch hold of. And second, he will say, Brahman doesn't have any feet. He's going to <laughs> tell us that. So anyway, um, it's not an object of any action. You cannot do anything to attain Brahman. That's another thing. And then all of this becomes pretty easy to understand if you consider um, consciousness itself. Uh, or look at it this way. Let me give you an intermediate example which will help us to understand the whole thing quite easily. Consider the dream example. So when we are in our dreams, we know everything in the dreams is just our mind. When you wake up, you realize it was the mind in its own place which dreamt up the entire dream universe and the person in the dream too. Now if I ask you, that mind you're walking around in the dream, you can see things, you can hear things, and you know, things are just going on fine. When someone explains to you that it's all mind, can you see that mind in the dream? No, you cannot. It's not an object. You can see trees and people and things in a dream, you know, all sorts of fantastic things you can see in a dream, which you cannot see in the waking world. But you can never see the mind, which is the constituent of the, which is the basic, basic reality of the dream. So it cannot be seen, heard, smelled, tasted, touched. It's not an object in the dream. Then can you attain it by some action? Can you walk around in the dream and uh, in one particular place in the dream world, there'll be the mind? <laughs> of course not. If someone tells you everything here is made of the mind, can you dig in the ground in the dream and find out the mind, excavate it? No. So it's not an object you can attain by any action. Similarly, pure consciousness, Atman or Brahman in this world of experience, is not an object. So the dream example is very nice to understand this. It cannot be an objectified by senses, mind, speech, so neither an object of knowledge nor an object of action. This is what has been said. Then Agotram, it is without any source. So everything in the universe has a source. As I said, material cause and then the effect. Some gold, ornaments, water, waves, clay, pot, so Brahman and the universe, we are saying that. But then what is the material cause of Brahman, if you ask? Does it have a source? Does it have a material cause? Uh, does it have a karana? No, it has no, no source. Uh, it, it has no material cause. It is the reality out of which everything else appears. Um, then Agotram, Avarnam. Literally the word Varna means color. It also means caste, you know. Um, but here... And the third meaning of Varna will be uh, properties, qualities. So here only the philosophical meaning that the qualities is, is uh, meant here. So Avarna means 
Brahman, the ultimate reality, has no qualities. Nirguna. It is, it is beyond all qualities. Then, Achakshu Shrotram, Tadapani Padam. It does not have sense organs. So it, it doesn't have eyes and ears. And Brahman, the pure consciousness, does not have sense organs. Again, very easy to understand in the dream world. See, it sees without eyes. It hears without uh, ears. In the dream world, we get the feeling of seeing things. We get the feeling of uh, hearing things. But our actual physical eyes and ears are not functioning there. Your eyes are closed. You're sleeping. So you're not hearing or seeing anything. And yet the mind experiences everything in the dream world. It seems to be that we are seeing, hearing, but it's actually all the play of the mind. Similarly, Advaita is making the claim that ultimately pure consciousness alone is the one which generates all experiences. And that it does without any kind of eyes or ears or sense organs or mind also. Those are at our level, but really it is consciousness alone which uh, illumines everything. And the deeper meaning here is, it is not uh, a knower in that sense. See, if I have eyes, ears, nose, if uh, I have mind to think, then I am a knower. I see, I hear, I smell, I taste, because I have eyes, ears, nose, skin, tongue. I have mind to think, so I am a thinker. But if I'm con by con consciousness, the imperishable Brahman is not a knower or thinker in that sense. It is just consciousness by itself. It is not an agent of knowledge. And then Tadapanipadam doesn't have hands and feet. By that, what it means is Brahman is not an agent of action. It's not a doer. It's not a doer. Therefore, no action produces and no, no, no result of action will come to it. It's free from action, free from cause and effect. And uh, these are very philosophically profound points because in the Hindu, Buddhist, um, Jain, Indian worldview, our bondage is due to karma. We are doers of action, good and bad, and therefore we are the enjoyers or sufferers of the consequences of action. But Brahman, because it's not a doer, it doesn't have any, any of the instruments of doing anything. It's just light awareness. So it is not the doer of any actions and therefore not the enjoyer or sufferer of any consequences. It is beyond karma. Again, the dream example. Everything is happening in the dream. But the dreaming mind, does it have hands? So you are walking around in the dream. But you know that you and the road you are walking on and the place you are going to in the dream, it's all mind. Mind has generated it. So walking is going on. But does the mind have feet to walk with? Does the mind have hands to um, grasp a cup of coffee in the dream? Nothing. And yet all action is going on. The mind itself does not have hands and feet. It's not itself doing any action there. Then nityam vibhum sarva gatam susukshmam. Some, all of these are negative till now. Now some positive ascriptions are being given. Nityam. It is eternal. Eternal means uh, imperishable. That was the word which was used. Akshara. Imperishable. Akshara. Um, so in what sense? You take the examples again. The cause and the effect. The effects are perishable. The cause continues. Think about the gold and the ornaments. So it is a lump of gold. And the um, skilled jeweler made a bracelet out of it. Uh, or made a necklace out of it. So before it was a, a necklace, it was gold. 
And after the necklace was made, it is gold. And one day when the necklace is melted and made into another uh, ornament, maybe bracelet, it is still gold. Notice, the necklace came and went. The necklace was born or produced. It stayed for some time and then it went back again. It disappeared. Disappeared in what? Where was it born from? Gold. Where did it exist? Gold. Where did it disappear back to? Means what remained afterwards? Gold. But all throughout, before the necklace, during the necklace, and after the necklace, gold persisted. And when the necklace that was made, that same gold was made into a bracelet, gold persisted. So the effects are um, shara or perishable. All the effects, all the products. So for Brahman, all the worlds, all human beings and non-human beings, all the living bodies, they all are born and exist and die including the worlds which we inhabit. Worlds are also born. They exist and die. Tagore in one poem is very evocative. He says, the same leaf which falls from the tree into the lake and sets out ripples on the lake. So imagine a dry leaf falls from a branch of a tree and falls in a lake and sets out some gentle ripples when it falls. And Tagore says, the same ripples run through the stars of the cosmos. This is the same ripples of change and decay and death. You know, there are the mighty stars and one leaf falling from the tree. It is the same process going on. They are all effects, including our bodies. They all run down and die. So, but Brahman continues. Our real nature, Atman, another name, Akshara. That's why it is called Nitya, eternal, imperishable. Among all perishable effects, the cause remains the same. Gold in all the ornaments, they come and go. But uh, gold remains. In all the clay pot, clay remains. In all the waves which come and rise and fall, water remains water. So in that sense, Brahman remains as Brahman, no matter what happens in our lives, in the universe. Everything, that, it comes and goes like the rising and falling of waves. But Brahman is eternal. Vibhum. Vividam bhavati eti vibhum. That means it appears diversely. It's an interesting thing. One uniform existence consciousness bliss, and yet it appears as human beings and animals and plants, it appears as stars and quasars, it appears as uh, um, ducks and geese, and it appears as good and bad, it appears as the worlds and tiny particles. So, Vividam Bhavati, the same Brahman, appears diversely. Dream example. The mind, in the dream, you see the tremendous variety. Just the mind by itself generates a tremendous variety. And so many fantastical things in the dream which you don't find in the waking world. Sarvagatam, all pervasive. So the effect is always pervasive in the... Uh, cause is always pervasive in the effect. Um, in all the pots made of clay, what will you find? Pots are all different. Different shape, shape, different size, different name. One is called a pot, one is called a jar, one is called whatever. Uh, but what is there? Clay. The cause, clay, pervades, that means it's present through and through in all the effects. Gold. You make ornaments out of it. Same gold, variety of ornaments, not only variety. In all that variety, one thing is present, gold. So, sarvagatam, all pervasive. Uh, a cause pervades the effect. 
Therefore, Brahman pervades the universe. Everything that you experience, there's nothing in this universe outside of Brahman. So everything you experience, whatever you experience, whoever you experience, and your own self, all of that is nothing but Brahman. Brahman, Brahman pervades it. That's why Vivekananda said, never approach anything except as God. What a beautiful statement. Because God pervades the effect. Imperishable Brahman pervades the cosmos, the perishable cosmos. Therefore, whomever you are approaching, whatever you are approaching, never approach anything except as God. It's the highest truth. Tadabhyayam, the undecaying, the undecaying. Everything is decaying. All are aging, changing and dying. Death is inevitable. Vivekananda says that um, uh, fools die, the learned die, paupers die and emperors die, and sinners die and sages die. So death is all pervasive. And yet it says here, Tadabhyayam, the undying, undecaying. And that's you. You do not die. You are that Brahman. And so is everybody else. So in that sense, there's no death. A gold necklace may be fashioned, may stay for some time, the jeweler may melt it down. Gold was there before it became a necklace. When it became a necklace, it was gold. During the time of being a necklace, it was gold. And when it was melted down, it was gold. When it's again a lump of gold, it's still gold. It is undecaying. And it does not get reduced. No matter how many times you make variety of ornaments from it, the same gold remains. It's not diminished if you make lots of uh, ornaments out of it. Um, so, yeah. Yad bhuta yo, then, yad bhuta yonim paripashyanti dhira. Yad bhuta yonim. Uh, yonim here means the source, the place of production, the, the cause which re leads to the effect. This is the most important term. This is the key term, which is the answer to the question. Tell me one thing by knowing which I can know everything. So, by knowing the cause, you can know the effect. Here he's saying that this imperishable is the cause. It is the cause of all, all beings. Living, non-living, the entire universe. Bhuta. All entities arise from this. As gold is the um, source for all ornaments. Material source. Water is the material source for all waves. Similarly, Brahman, the imperishable is the source for all perishable entities of this universe. Living, non-living, vast, tiny, momentary, or persisting for eons. All of that is, the source is Brahman. Therefore, it is the answer to your question, O Shaunaka. You ask me for one thing by knowing which I can know everything. Well, you have to know the cause if you want to know all the effects. And here is the cause, which I just mentioned. Okay. That's a lot. But then how would I know this? I know what gold is. I, and I understand when you say gold and ornaments. I know what water is. And I understand when you say water and waves. I know what clay is. I know, understand clay and pots. I even understand dreams, mind and dreams. You know, all the things in the dream and the mind produces them in the dream or appears as that. That example also I understand. But I don't understand Brahman and the world. Because I see only one side of it, the world. Where is Brahman? It's like somebody who's seeing ornaments but doesn't get what is gold. So he says, Paripashyanti dhira. Very important. Each word is loaded here. Paripashyanti. You have to see this. How uh, Shankaracharya says very beautifully, he, he says, he comments, ah, 
परिपश्यन्ति सर्वता आत्मभूतम सर्वस्य अक्षरम पश्यन्ति दे सी द इम्पेरिशेबल यू टू सी द इम्पेरिशेबल एज द वेरी एसेंस एज द वेरी आत्मन द रियालिटी ऑफ एवरीथिंग सर्वता एवरीवेयर अप एंड डाउन एंड टू योर साइड्स एंड टू योर फ्रंट एंड योर बैक inside in your mind in your thoughts and emotions in all beings whatever you see whoever you see whatever you are experiencing you have to find out the reality the re- that one reality everywhere as the atman the reality of everything just as what do you mean by atman help me out here the atman as just the gold is the atman of the ornament as clay is the atman of the pot what is the atman of all things Do you have to know clay or gold? No, those are examples. Even of clay and gold, even of everything in the universe, what is the Atman? And slowly he will show us. It is none other than being, consciousness, which is you. And the startling answer will be, you are the self of everything that you experience. You means not you, the person, of course. And so that is the... Um, now... the way to do it is to discern it when he says who will see it dhiraha so this word often comes in the upanishads this is the person who will succeed in realizing this shaunaka if you want to know really i told you the answer but if you really want to get it to realize this you have to be a dhira dhira in um, um in many many most indian languages this word is there in bengali for example it means a very patient and steady person and it's not very far from the the sanskrit meaning in sanskrit and especially in vedanta it means a fully qualified student so a person who has the fourfold qualifications viveka the discernment between eternal and non-eternal vairagya a dispassion for the non-eternal the sixfold qualities um, the disciplines of the mind and then Uh, intense desire for freedom this is a person fully competent this person with the teaching right teaching will become enlightened will find the imperishable will find the one thing by knowing which everything is known known will find the cause behind all effects what is the special method shankaracharya adds here who is this dhira vivekinaha those who have the incisive this discernment this is very is a very loaded term this is the key to enlightenment see because gold is present in all ornaments so if you're seeing the ornaments you are literally seeing gold you just don't know it you don't understand what gold is if you um if you see all pottery and you say that i see pots and jars but where is the clay well then the answer will be you are seeing clay but you don't know what is clay yeah. so one of the scoldings we used to get from our teachers in traditional pandits would say your uh, head is full of clay <laughs> clay headed um, so you don't know what clay is then how would you know what is clay in all the pots how would you know what is gold in all the ornaments that is called discernment and the way to do that is to in our understanding isolate the reality from the name and form and function see the shape of the necklace is not gold the name necklace is not gold the fact that you put it around your neck that's not gold but quite apart from all of that the thing itself is gold similarly names and forms and functions here they are maya there's a network of maya but what 
what that network covers, the reality of all things and yourself is Brahman. And then there will be methods which will take us to realize, to help us discern. But basically the, the door to this realization is discernment, viveka. There's a very beautiful hymn to Vivekananda. Anitya drishyeshu, vivichya nityam, tasmin samadhatta ihasmalilaya, viveka vairagya vishuddha chittam, yosau viveki tamaham namami. So it's a salutation to Vivekananda. The name Vivekananda is com comes from Viveka. And what is this Viveka? The first verse um, is composed by uh, Swami Ramakrishnanandaji, one of the brother disciples of Vivekananda, in great reverence to his brother disciple Vivekananda, he composes this. He says, um, Anitya Drishyesho, in the midst of all perishable objects of experience, basically effects in the language of Mundakopanishad, what we have been talking about, all perishable things all around us. Vivitya Nityam, the, there is one imperishable underlying reality. Again, the language of Mundakopanishad. Vivitya. Vivitya means, it's a technical word which means ability to separate, to extract. Not physically, in our understanding. Just as, it's not very difficult, just as if I ask you to see all the ornaments in the shop and you say, yeah, I see them. And if I say that, now see gold. You say, yeah, I see it. It's a very immediate thing that you do in your minds. That you see, you understand what's gold there. That is Vivitya. If I tell you, look at the waves in the ocean, the surf and the waves and the, um, you know, spray. So, yeah, I see it. Then if I ask you, now see water. So, yeah, in a blink of an eye, you will say, yeah, I see water. That's Vivitya. Because you know both. Here, we don't know the underlying reality. And that's what makes it difficult. And we're trying to know that. But the process is exactly the same. In an instant, the enlightened one can say, yeah, I see everybody. If you ask an enlightened one, what do you see? See, he will say that I see whatever you are seeing. I see people, I see places, I see the body, I experience heat and cold, all of that as you are seeing. But aren't you seeing God? He will instantly say, yes, of course, everywhere, all the time, inside and outside. If you are sick, aren't you feeling unwell? Aren't you feeling pain? He'll say, yes, I am. But you're Brahman, beyond all sickness. He says, of course, I'm beyond all sickness, I'm Brahman. Instantly. Today we were reading, uh, somebody asked Swami Shivananda, Mahapurush Maharaj. Uh, he was very ill and his health was declining. He was the president of the order. And towards the end, his health broke down completely. So a group of people had gathered around one early morning in his room. He was especially sick. So somebody asked him, Swami, are you, uh, how are you today? How are you feeling? The old Swami, he said, if you are asking about the body, it is not at all well. It is deteriorating and going the way all things, all perishable things go. It will soon go away, pass away. If you are asking about me, I am perfectly well. I am, and he says, I am the Atman, I am perfectly well. So this is the thing. In an instant, and he means both of it. The next three mantras, seven, eight, and nine in this chapter, the first chapter, uh, are adding some further refinement to this word Bhutayonim, the source of all things. Because remember the original course question, how can I know all things? Tell me one thing by which I can know all things. And the answer was, if you know the cause of all things, then you know all things. Then what is the cause? This is the cause. 
So how is this the cause of all things, this imperishable? That is being, uh, you know, refined further in the next three mantras. In what, in what do you mean it's the cause of all things? Can you show me how it is the cause of all things? Um, the next mantra is also famous. Yator nanabhi srijate grinhate cha Yatha pithibhyam oshadhaya sambhavanti Yatha satapurushat keshalomani Tathaksharat sambhavati havishwam um, The translation is, these are examples to show what is meant with the source of all things. As a spider spreads out and withdraws its, its web, as on the earth grows the herbs and trees, and as from a living um, human being issues out hair on the head and the body, so out of the imperishable does the universe emerge here in this phenomenal creation. All right, so three examples have been given. As the spider produces and retracts its web, as... Um, um, as from the earth, herbs and plants and trees grow, as from our bodies, you know, hair and, uh, um, you know, keshaloma, we say hair in English, but in Sanskrit, the distinction is there. That which grows on the head is called kesha, hair. And that which grows on the body is called loma. But basically, same thing, hair comes from a living body. So the, from the imperishable Brahman, all things emerge, all the perishable things emerge. What he's doing here is using examples to help us. I watched this little, tiny little clip from, you know, Elon Musk. He says the, the, one of the secrets of his success is what he calls reasoning from first principles and not analogical thinking. So he says most, you know, when you teach something, when you try to understand something, analogies are very helpful. So like here, you know, like a spider, like from the earth, like from a living being. We are actually not talking about spiders or earth or hair coming out of a living body. We're talking about from Brahman, how the universe emerges. But look at what the Upanishad is doing. Upanishad is giving us a series of analogies. Like this, like this, like this. So Elon Musk said in that interview, that's very uh, analogical thinking is often used because it's very easy to teach. Uh, people can grasp it if you give some examples which they know already. If you already understand the example, you can get some idea of what is being said. It will never be exact. Then he made a distinction. He said, but if you want to do something original, you have to do first, uh, thinking ab initio, first prin uh, principle thinking. I will not go into it. The first principle thinking is very difficult. Um, so you want to discover something, make an, a fundamental change. You have to understand the thing in itself without analogies or examples. So the difference in Vedanta would be, in Vedanta now, the, Upa, the rishis have done the first principle thinking for us. And now they're teaching us through the analogies because we can grasp it. But if you want to get an example of how you would do first principle thinking in, the, in Vedanta, a um, good example might be the Adhyasa Bhashya, which, which we just touched upon a few classes ago. So there are also examples there, but the attempt is not to explain something through analogies. Attempt is to go directly to our experience and try to reason it out. Anyway, and that's why it's so difficult. Here it is entirely through analogies. And um, it says, Just as a spider produces a web and retracts it. Now what's been said here? The spider is the material cause of the web and also the intelligent cause of the web. In Sanskrit, Nimitta Karana, Upadana Karana. What does that mean? 
to even say a goldsmith makes ornaments out of gold or a carpenter makes furniture out of wood, the material cause and the intelligent cause are different. The carpenter is the intelligent cause and the wood is the material cause. The jeweler is the goldsmith is the intelligent cause and the gold is the material cause. Um, but the spider's case, what does the spider produce? A web. So who is the intelligent being who produces the web? A spider, the sentient being, the little creature spider, is the intelligent being, the nimitta karna, who's producing a web. But with what material does the spider produce a web? The, the carpenter produces furniture with material which is not himself. Luckily, the carpenter doesn't become the furniture. <laughs> the carpenter takes wood and makes furniture, something separate from himself. But the spider produces its product, the web, from its own body. So the body of the spider is the material cause. And the intelligent being called spider is the uh, intelligent cause, nimitta karana. So in this spider are combined both the intelligent cause and the material cause. So it's a good example for Brahman. God is the creator of the universe. So intelligent cause of the universe. Who designed the universe? It's the old design theory. God designed the universe. Intelligent cause. But with what? With what material? There's no other material other than God. Brahman alone exists. So from Brahman itself. In Vedanta Sar, we learned this. Abhinna nimitta upadana karana. The indistinguishable, the one and only uh, intelligent and material cause of the universe is Brahman. And yet here we are talking about Saguna Brahman or Ishwara. Brahman with the power of Maya. From the perspective of Brahman, Saguna Brahman, Ishwara. Ishwara or Saguna Brahman is the intelligent cause and Maya is the material cause out of which the universe is made. Just like spider the being and spider the body of the spider as the material cause. So same spider. It produces the web from its body and it retracts Another good example, because we keep saying that the universe is produced by God and then it exists in God and then God can retract this universe again. It dissolves into God. Spider does that. I was uh, checking it out. Does the spider really retract its web? Well, yes, actually it does. Uh, if you check it out, it eats its web. <laughs> and it has glands which will transform the material, the proteins into it, into new web material. So it is true that here is an interesting creature which produces the web out of itself and then retracts means eats it and absorbs it back into itself and to again produce it later. A lot like the idea of the cycle of creation, existence and dissolution. Shrishti Stiti Pralaya in Hinduism. To the spider example. Now, funny note to this, um, an old Indologist, one of the early Indologists, writes rather pompously, the ancient Hindus worshipped the spider. No, they didn't. There are, no, I mean, there are any kinds, many kinds of temples and deities, but there are no spider temples and deities. So, um, uh, so no, it was just an example. If you see the Upanishad, yatha urnanavi sujate grinhatecha, the word yatha means just like. It's an example. It's an analogy. And then, a question may arise that well, the spider puts on a lot of effort. So does Brahman have to put in a lot of effort? God had to put in a lot of effort to make this universe? No. The next example says, just as um, 
as from the earth effortlessly emerge herbs and plants and trees. So uh, just like that, from the imperishable emerges this universe effortlessly. God makes this universe effortlessly. Another point is, is uh, um, illustrated here. From the same earth, a variety of products are produced. So the web is of one type only. But if you look at plants and herbs and trees, how many, what a wild profusion of life there is from the same earth. So from the same Brahman, this tremendous variety of the universe is produced and effortlessly. That's what the, the example goes to show. But then one might have a, a question here. Hey, this is exactly what the scientists are saying. From an insentient universe, you know, by Big Bang or something, from some quantum state, the universe emerges. So where is this Brahman? Because the earth is insentient and from that, you know, living beings are emerging. So to correct that, immediately another example is given. Yatha sata purushat ke shalomani. No, it's exactly the opposite. As from a living body, hair and nails, which are dead, they are emerging. So our hair and nails are actually dead cells. They are emerging uh, from a living body. Similarly, from a sentient, from Brahman, which is consciousness, a non-conscious universe emerges. From Brahman, which is one, the many emerge. Brahman, which is unlimited, the limited are emerging. Brahman, which is imperishable, the perishable are emerging. Just opposite in nature. And Brahman is, uh, is uh, conscious, is limitless, is immortal. And the products are not conscious. And they are limited. And they are mortal. In every aspect, they are different from the cause. Um, so, yeah. These three very nice examples. Just like this, it says, it's not about plants and trees and the earth. It's not about human beings and hair and barber shops and all. It's not about, uh, not even about uh, spiders and webs. Just like that, from the imperishable uh, emerges this phenomenal universe. Emerges, exists and disappears back again. And again emerges. All right. We'll stop here. Look at the comments and then let me bring it to a close. Rick says some physicists argue that unified field sought by physics and consciousness, Brahman, are one and the same, since there couldn't be two ultimate realities. They couldn't be. But then the unified, what the Advaitin would say is that the unified field theory, the unified field um, is um, not the ultimate reality, it's still a subset. Because if you cannot integrate consciousness into it, then there is something left over for explaining. If you can, then only uh, you can claim that. See, ultimately from our perspective, the non-duality would include us, would not exclude us. And it would, see, it would be a non-duality of the universe not apart from you. The universe as your appearance. That must, must happen. Otherwise, still there's limitation. Sri Ram says, Swamiji, we cannot do anything to attain Brahman, means all sadhana is perfunctory. No, it is a purpose. All spiritual per practice is not necessary. No, it has a great purpose. If you don't do that, you'll never attain. So it's like, um, um, you know, you have to set sail. You have to raise your sail. The wind is blowing. But unless we raise the sail, we, unless we do our part, we will not catch that wind, the wind of grace. God always wants us to become enlightened and God realized. 
So that opportunity is always open to us. But we must take a look. We must do that discernment. We must put in our, we must want it. The Upanishads say, uh, who will realize the Atman? And the Upanishad says that to whomever the Atman reveals itself. The Atman reveals itself, that one will realize the Atman. But to whom will the Atman reveal itself? And Shankara claims, uh, Shankara comments there, whoever chooses the Atman, that one the Atman chooses. Upanishad says, whomever the Atman chooses, to that one the Atman reveals itself. But we want to know whom will it choose? Will it choose me? And Shankara says, yes. Whom will it choose? The one who chooses the Atman. If you want to realize God, knock and it shall be opened. And ask and ye shall receive. So you have to choose. And then you will get it. That choosing is sadhana. The choosing is the spiritual practice. Um, but you are right. It is a purpose to remove obstacles. So sadhana has a negative purpose. You are looking at pottery and saying that, claiming that you're not seeing clay. You're looking at all the waves and you're claiming that you're not seeing what is water. So that obstacle, that ignorance, that block has to be removed. That's all. And spiritual practice is for that. Ramya says, uh, if Brahman is not the knower, why do we use pramata? Does this indicate a combination of Brahman plus mind? Correct. So Brahman is not a pramata, ultimately. It's neither prameya. In fact, that's a good point you have raised. All this, when we said, that line, it means Brahman is neither Prameya nor Pramata. That's good. You raise this point. It's, these words are very powerful in Sanskrit. They encompass a lot. Prameya and Pramata means, Pramata means the knower. A seer, hearer, smeller, taster. The one who knows. The epistemic subject. And Prameya means the object of knowledge. So Brahman is not an object of knowledge and is not a subject of knowledge also. It's not the knower. However, very important, the knower and the known are not apart from Brahman. See, this is the point I was trying to make in my Purnam lecture. See, the reality is just this. Does Brahman exclude the knower and the known? No, 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 no. Brahman excludes nothing. This world which we are inhabiting right now, this is Brahman. All of it. But um, we don't know the underlying reality. It's like saying, oh, I have understood what gold is. Gold is not necklace and, um, you know, uh, or a bracelet or a ring. All right. You're correct. That's an understanding. But in that case, is the necklace, bracelet and ring something other than gold? No, no, no. When you say gold, it encompasses every possible golden ornament. So when you say Brahman, pure consciousness, it is not a knower, not an object of knowledge, not a pramata, not a prameya. However, all knowers and all objects of knowledge are nothing but Brahman. If you get that, you'll get, get Advaita. One great Advaita master said beautifully, Do viruddha baad jab ek saath samaj mein pakad mein aavegi, tab Advaita pakad mein aayega. When you understand two contradictory things at once, you grasp it. Farther than the farthest, nearer than the nearest. It does not move, yet it, it's faster than the fastest. If you can grasp it at once, what is meant, something very precise is meant there. Then you get Advaita. How is it? 
that it is not the knower, nor an object of knowledge, and yet all knowers and all objects of knowledge are nothing apart from you, the consciousness. It's like sunlight and moonlight. The moon, sunlight is not moonlight, but the moonlight is nothing but sunlight. There can be no moonlight without being sun, without sunlight. But sunlight doesn't have to be moonlight. Even without the moon, the sunlight can exist. You are the Atman, Brahman, the sunlight. And what you see through the mind and senses is like the moonlight. It cannot work and exist without you. But you can exist entirely without the mind and the senses. Vishwanath says the same people also thought that Ajah means goat. Ancient Hindus worshipped it. Yes, Ajah means the unborn, but also means goat. So did the ancient Hindus. Uh, yeah. There's a little more to it, but anyway, the point is taken. Rick says, with the physicist, I'm referring to argue that the unified field is consciousness. Ah, yes. So that is another thing. That's uh, a deeper understanding. of. It's very interesting that when you're going to the fundamental reality of the universe, how does consciousness figure that? It's a very strange thing. If you think about it, if I say right now that... Um, we are looking for the fundamental reality of the universe. Where did the universe ori uh, originate? What was there in the initial state of the universe? And I say to you uh, that uh, uh, the pen, of course, is very key to the fundamental reality of the universe. You'll see how ridiculous is that? Universe comes from some quantum state. There is a big bang and then uh, all the particles uh, are produced and then the stars um, you know, evolve and the galaxies come. And then the world, uh, you know, arises in this solar system and then after millions and millions of years um, very basic life evolves in the oceans and then it evolves out into the land and through millions of years of evolution human beings evolve and then the human beings evolve uh, uh, in industrial civilization and now they produce this pen how could this be at the beginning of the universe that's crazy but when you say consciousness is somehow fundamental to the universe, you're saying something like that. Because the general idea, idea of consciousness is what? The universe was produced, no consciousness. Stars came into being, no consciousness. Planets came into being, there's no consciousness. Um, then, the, you know, life evolved in the... Maybe there's consciousness or not. But, you know, earlier people would have said that basic life has no consciousness at all. And then finally, higher beings evolved with evolved nervous system and brain, and consciousness came up as an epiphenomenon. How can consciousness be at the fundamental level of the universe? And yet, now, when you are investigating science has advanced enough, cosmology, particle physics has advanced enough to that level, where now you cannot do this without uh, involving consciousness or the observer in some way. It's very interesting. Why does consciousness suddenly figure? in the discussion of it should figure in brain science in the life sciences at most but not in at the fundamental level of the universe yet consciousness figures there I remember seeing this amazing lecture by uh, I mentioned this earlier Sir Roger Penrose in Calcutta the British Council organized it so he was using this uh, OHP overhead transparencies and he drew a triangle I remember and the triangle was mind mathematics universe what this is easy this is the great mystery how is it a physical universe mind and a product of mind the mathematics how this mathematics can understand the physical universe so well what is the link we are minds we do mathematics and this mathematics can understand the vast universe 
whether they can such powerful things you can predict the basic structure of the universe what's happening in the world so that's the mystery um shravani says the spider example is referring to karya brahman um karana brahman and karya brahman so karana brahman is the causal brahman which is saguna brahman which is the spider and the web is karya brahman which is the universe um, so yeah karya brahman in the sense that the universe is produced from the cause which is um saguna brahman or ishvara but it will come later when you say brahman transcends the universe that mantra we did now yatta drishyam agrahyam that one that one talks about the ultimate reality brahman without any qualifications brahman without maya just just brahman itself then it makes a, a transition yad bhuta yonim it is the source of the universe so brahman by itself has nothing to do with the universe so the universe has to be attributed to brahman because universe cannot exist without brahman when you attribute the universe to brahman then it becomes the conditioned brahman so yes uh, it really the original ultimate reality is nirguna brahman but that they will come to they will ultimately refine that understanding but right now he is going towards the concept of saguna brahman which produces the universe because remember the the question was what is that one thing by knowing which everything is known so by knowing the cause you know all the effects and so by knowing brahman you know the effects of brahman if you have effects of brahman and brahman is the cause what brahman are we talking about what is the nature of brahman we are talking about saguna brahman ishvara however saguna brahman also cannot be understood without knowing what is nirguna brahman so nirguna brahman have to start there or at least end up there so right now this talk of cause and effect but actually brahman transcends cause and effect but one way of understanding brahman is through this question uh, of uh, shaunaka what is the cause amir hussain says in reference to qualification student student does not have dispassion quite yet from the all that is non eternal can she still benefit from these teachings yes it can but it will take a longer time we will have to struggle through this and develop the requisite dispassion let me just read out what vivekananda says you'll see what stunning kind of qualification he wants you know what kind of what level of dispassion he wants from the uh, student it's in volume 3 of complete works of vivekananda this is one of the examples of how much dispassion vairagya is necessary one existence appearing as many towards the end of this talk he says uh, this is the lecture one existence appearing as many vivekananda says this is the method of the advaita gyani the truth has to be heard then reflected upon and then to be constantly asserted that is meditated upon think always i am brahman the point i want to read out is in the earlier lecture the free soul the free soul there at the end of that talk the free soul just before this um, lecture one existence appearing as many who are fit to become gyani yogis this is the question which amir was asking who are fit to become gyani yogis those who are equipped with these requisites vairagya dispassion he says first renunciation and then he talks about renunciation look in what sublime and fiery language renunciation of all fruits of work karma and of all enjoyments in this life or another life if you are the creator of this universe whatever you desire you will have look at this what what insight 
if you are the creator of this universe, whatever you desire, you will have. Because you will create it for yourself. It is only a question of time. Some get it immediately. While others, the past samskaras, impressions stand in the way of getting their desires. We give first place to desires for enjoyment, either in this life or another life. So that's what we are trying to do, get these enjoyments. He says, stop that. Deny that there is any life at all. Look, look what height he takes it to. Deny that there is any life at all, because life is only another name for death. Deny that you are a living being. <laughs> Who cares for life? Vivekananda says. Life is one of those hallucinations. And death is its counterpart. It sounds brutal. But it must be logically true. If you are Brahman, these are once you realize you are Brahman, life and death will be hallucinations to you. And within hallucinations, the chase for this pleasure or that pleasure is further madness. Stop it all. That is Vairagya. Who cares for life? Life is one of those hallucinations and death is its counterpart. Joy is one part of those hallucinations and misery the other part and so on. What have you to do with life or death? This is our most important concern, you know, life or death. These are all creations of the mind. This is called giving up desires for enjoyment either in this life or another. Vairagya. <laughs> Something to think about. If somebody thinks about it and achieves even a part of this Vairagya, enlightenment and freedom is, is you're just one step away from it. You're on the very doorstep of enlightenment and moksha and freedom. The, really, the problem is not in understanding Advaita Vedanta. The problem is in this vairagya and the, and the six-fold treasure. That's where the problem is. Vivekananda says, I know where the shoe pinches. It's not in our study or understanding. It's there. Sri says, are there souls who will never be liberated due to lack of self-effort? Eventually, all will choose liberation at some point and will become liberated. Priya says, does uh, how free will... Uh, a choice every moment to choose God, unselfishness over world desires. Correct. Upanishad will say, at every moment you are presented with this choice. Make a choice. If you truly, truly make a choice, at that moment also it, you can be liberated. Charles says from Singapore, consciousness individual, consciousness needs a reference and relationship from our understanding consciousness limited by language, vocabulary to understand and appreciate consciousness. Silence is perhaps best to achieve our association with consciousness. Which part in Hinduism investigates this deeper, please? This deeper is the, what we are reading right now. The language, the closest you can get is the language of the Upanishads. Language of Advaita Vedanta. And then it also says, silence is a higher language. Rushal says, I would like to read Swami Vivekananda. Where would you ask, advise me to start? Four yogas. Four yogas of Swami Vivekananda. Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Tatsat Shri Ramakrishna Arpanamastu